0: So it's Monday, I think. It's probably the 17th. Um, God's had us completely off of our agenda for, well, yesterday, we just broke through, didn't we, girls? mm mm-hmm. uh, And the, the agenda went out the window, and we just haven't been sticking to anything at all. It's just been completely the Lord, and awesome. he's moved in people's lives in ways that we would never have dreamt, and they would never have dreamt. And I don't doubt that it's going to be exactly the same today. Um, so the first thing is that this this session, this day, if you like, is was headed up to be called Going Beyond Your Experience. Well, we've actually already gone beyond our experience. We went there yesterday, didn't we? Uh, so I, I want to rename it, uh, and it's in the presence of God. Um, We have known why he titled it um, Entering into the Power and Presence of God. And I can't recap, uh, but we've gone through the fact that what it means to put the power first before the presence. Uh, And today we're looking at the presence. And um, Margaret, not there. She was here. Must be in the room. In the room. <laughs> but what I didn't know I was gonna say and wasn't aware of is that this is a Kairos moment. And that needs to be explained to you, those of you who don't know what you know what a Kairos moment is anyway? No, right, okay. We live in Kronos. K-A-I-R-O-S. This is awesome. Because Kronos, we live in Kronos from where we get our word chronology which is our time scale. But when you move into a Kairos moment, you're coming into God's time scale. It was a Kairos moment when Jesus came. There are Kairos moments along history where he presents himself in such a way as to turn and change the course of history. He himself breaks in. And therefore things from that moment are never the same. So what we have been experiencing, I think, since Friday is a Kairos moment in our lives in God. That we will never be the same because of what he has done over this weekend. Many of you can give testimony to that. That you won't be the same. A Kairos moment in God is, is... very precious because one you need to be aware of it you need to be like the sons of Issachar who knew the times and the seasons and it is the prophetic that will recognise a Kairos moment of God when he dropped that into my mouth (laughs) when I spoke that prayer I thought oh I was overcome at that point by total nervousness because a Kairos moment means he's here He's broken in to Kronos and he's here to do something. And it's going to be stupendous because it's always God's size when God breaks in to do something. I keep wanting to apologise for how I am and he keeps saying, No. (laughs) But I can explain. Um, I called you into order because I could feel the anointing. You know, when I was saying, I need to read this. The feast is ready to begin. It just dropped that into my mind. That's why I went to gather everybody. The feast is ready to begin. So, we're calling people, aren't we? The feast is ready to begin. What feast? Well, the bridal feast in preparation we are so at the end of everything you can almost smell the cooking no wonder you came in and said i smelt roast dinner (laughs) i said i smelt bald eggs and she smelt roast dinner the feast beloved is ready to begin he's calling us into bridal partnership in no mean fashion and everything that we're going to experience today of him and what we're going to hear is about calling us into that place of alongside the bridegroom so that we operate from that place. I had a lot of little stickers with I think lost. I think lost the wrong one. Of them. There's a little sticker. Here we are. Okay, Father. At the last uh, school we had, do you remember we had a handout which said, um, My child, you are mine. This day I call you into sonship and every day to take up your position in my family. You are my son and in you do I delight. I've set my love upon you. Yes, my plans, my ambitions, my love. Think you that I said to my own beloved son, You are my son this day I've forgotten you. This is true, I said it of him, and of every son since. Take up your sonship daily. Daily shall you enter into your place. Did I not say, Bring the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger, and shoes on his feet? Did the son do anything to merit his sonship? was he a worthy son yet I set my love on him and wooed him to myself come then take your place the offered garment even the robe of rejoicing and delight take the ring of union with me and display it delight in it let me wash your feet then take the offered sandals and walk through this day as a king's son your feet will become soiled and I have made provision for this but keep your heart with all diligence be a son ask as a son reign as a son rejoice as a son move freely as a son should rejoice even as my heart rejoices in you the past is forgotten and behind you the day is yours go forth Bear the radiance of the Divine in your countenance. See, I've stripped from you the robe of rags. I've put on you the robe of my righteousness, the beautiful garments that shall be the envy of all that see them. Even as Joseph's coat aroused in others' envy, so shall others want to know the Lord your God. Rejoice, O rejoice in your welcome, in your position, in your forgiveness in the joy of your father, in the joy of the angels, for he gives you richly all things to enjoy. Rejoice, again I say, rejoice. Interesting, this little poem, call it what you will, fell out of a book given to me. There were many books given to us by a man called Harry Travis. He's a Methodist um, lay preacher, turfing out his books. And, and as I was going through them out fell a little sheet of paper and this was on it. It sounds like straight ground cook doesn't it? So that the, the prophetic spirit will speak the same into any age. Mm-hmm. So here we are, sonship. So Up here, what's been happening over this weekend is that God has been establishing you in sonship. He will do you, that to you before he does anything else and he won't let you move anywhere into servanthood until you know who you are in him. That's the relational cycle, the cycle of sonship. It leads on to servanthood, then to friendship. Abraham was a friend of God. And finally to slavery. Paul says, I'm a slave of Christ. So he establishes this first. Friendship is earned by faithfulness when you get round there. And finally we go on as love slaves. So that is the way he works with us. There's the cycle of intimacy, the relational cycle, the love cycle. He's got like these cycles that all interlock. And we can be in half a dozen at once. But here, this weekend, he's been establishing us so that we know whose we are. And he won't let us go until he's established us in that. So there's copies of these that you can help yourselves to um, <coughs> or pop round. Yeah. <coughs> so there are a couple of things that um, I met... Uh, and on the way down the stairs this morning, she said, I suspect you've been up early. I said, I have, (laughs) bumping away on my laptop. Because everything that I prepared for this weekend sort of went out the window, and God gets given fresh bread every morning. First thing, some of you who are familiar with Roger Price know about the three cats on the wall, but it's worth saying it again. Three cats sitting on the wall. The first cat's name's Fact. The second cat's name is Faith and the third cat's name is feeling all the time that faith kept his eyes on the facts he was alright but when he looked round to see how feelings was doing they all fell off the wall (laughs) I mean we laugh but actually this is the case of it and the things that we have won and gained in God this weekend will need to be actually appropriated by faith and not by feeling Um, because times are going to come when we come out of here where it won't feel like we've received anything. And so that's where faith kicks in. That we know whose we are. Sometimes Joyce and I say all we know is that we're saved. (laughs) We get to to such a stateless stew that that's that's all we could do. So we'll be looking at faith versus feeling this afternoon. We're looking at that a little bit more. But they're up there just as a nice little visual aid. Um, Carol, would you like to turn that board round? You'll find something you won't like to see on there. No, let all the groans go. Oh, ooh, that's, ooh. <coughs> just quickly, this was one revelation that God gave me over the weekend that we're all born with a serpent inside. You can call it your old nature or your old Adam but it becomes much more real when you see it like this. The Eros Serpent is self-referential. It always puts itself at the centre, will always seek to gratify itself and in relationships it will seek to possess, acquire and control. So we did a little study on the thing and realise that if we starved it, it uh, actually would just disappear eventually. The thing is with it, of course, it lays eggs. And it can lay eggs like resentment and bitterness and hatred and unforgiveness and you name it. So you could get rid of the big one, but leave the nest of eggs behind. <clears throat> when I first uh, saw it in someone uh, ten, about ten years ago, I saw this snake curled up in her tummy. I thought she needed deliverance. After many unsuccessful attempts to get that out, it didn't come out, and I thought, well, there you go. But on, was it Sunday morning, Saturday morning, the Lord suddenly showed me that that's what I saw, coiled up inside this person. Because, bless her, she is a walking example of someone who is consumed with herself. It comes out in a conversation, it comes out in everything. And that was why I saw this thing curled up in there. And God said, you're all born with one of those. So I think some of us decided that we want to walk in agape, which is God's love, and not eros. Because eros is not sexual love. It's anything that seeks to put ourselves first, our own self-gratification. You know, this particular person, um, God spoke to her recently, because a long time ago I said, I think you've got a problem with self-protection. Me? What? Never. I said, well go home and ask him, because that was what God had told me. No, no, couldn't see it, couldn't see it, couldn't see it. Then some months or a year later she phoned up and said, uh, I think God showed me I've got a problem with self-protection. Oh really? And it's self-deception. Oh really? Would you like to unpick that then? Well the deception was that the way that she was filling her own needs was alright. She had persuaded herself that buying trinkets, buying the clothes she fancied, indulging herself in various foods, generally indulging her fleshly instincts and appetites was alright because after all She'd been very badly treated. And it was a real shock to her when he actually said, you're in deception. That is how strong it gets. That It actually becomes a deception. We are self-deceived because we think that it's okay. Jeremiah puts it another way, doesn't he? I think it's in Jeremiah 1 or 2 my people have dug cisterns (coughs) Jeremiah 2.13 my people have committed two evils they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water in other words they are looking after themselves and that's on a hide into nothing because when we try to fill our own needs we won't know as I was talking to someone over the breakfast table we say to God I need this and I need that but we really don't know what we do need the correct way to go to him is to say Father you know I think I need this but what do I actually need and then he'll show you and it won't be what you're thinking if you see what I mean So turn him around, he's not nice. Can you hide him again, Carol? We don't like it. We've decided it's death to him. (laughs) (coughs) What do you say to was? It's not, it's self-referential love. Yes. It's anywhere where where I will self-protect, self-look after myself. (coughs) Um, put myself first. Oh, Joyce Meyer would. Did you ever been heard her? Where she says she got out of bed one morning and the Lord said uh, something about that little robot, and she said, "What do you mean, that little robot?" Mm-hmm. And he said, "Well, haven't you noticed it goes? What about me? What about me? What about yeah. me?" <laughs> 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 We've all got a little robot that goes, "What about me? What about me? What about me?" Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So we can see it. I mean, that's like a mirror, isn't it? It's um, like a mirror. If you've got children, you look at them and you think, oh, my goodness, I can see myself. <laughs> because they're mirroring what you you have patterned for them. And you hear, ha, 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 ha. Ha, Okay, so we looked at Sonship very quickly. We looked at the three cats on the wall and we I'm already completely lost and... Um, We'll look. um, I want to just talk for a moment about something we don't hear about very much at all these days, and that is conscience. We're all born with a conscience, with an awareness of God. We're born with, with that; that we have a conscience within us. But like everything else in ourselves, it is fallen. And there, there is a there is a place for asking the Lord to enliven our consciences. Because, because of what we live with in the world and the gradualism that has taken place, things that the church would not have countenanced a hundred years ago within their own body are commonplace. We don't see it as being wrong anymore because our consciences have got dulled. And so we only see the extreme things as being sin. And we probably don't even see behaviour, I'll talk a bit more about this probably this afternoon, as being a sin at all. Um, Because we don't hear it taught. But if you have any doubt about whether your conscience is is actually lively, ask the Lord. Um, Because these little sessions we've been doing them quite short and then sending people away to just ask him, do business with him. So what I want you to ask him this morning is, is my conscience livened? Is it enlivened? I mean, I tell a story against myself, it comes straight into my mind. When I worked at... um, in the National Health Service many, many years ago. I worked for a district administrator. I went from being a medical secretary into being working for the district administrator. <coughs> didn't like that, loved being a medical secretary. Um, and um, he, he was turning some stuff out of his office that he didn't want, and he had this angle poise lamp. Um, so I said, can I borrow that? Yes, you can borrow that. So, of course, you can guess what, sort of 10 years later, I've still got the angle poise lamp, and by this time, I've long left Lewisham Hospital which was where it was half inched from, stolen from, use the right word. Don't call a spade an agricultural in- implement to call it what it is, the lamp I stole from. So I get born again, don't I? I'm sitting there one evening about 10 o'clock at night, and suddenly the conviction of God comes upon me, that lamp's got to go back. Well, I lived a long way from Lewisham Hospital, but I thought i have to go now. I'm thinking, what do I do? And in Lewisham Hospital you had uh, the entrance gate and then two arches. You go in one arch and out the other. So I knew where I'd gotta go, I'd gotta go and the administrator's office was over there. There was no point in trying to put it back in there. I'd long since not worked there. <coughs> so I drove down to <laughs> down to Lewisham Hospital, The night porter was on duty. I get this lamp out and I say, This belongs in the district administrator's office and he went, Oh, him standing there holding <laughs> this thing. <laughs> I have no idea what he did. <laughs> Another young lad that came to the Lord, uh, he used to work in Brian Hogger's section. Can't remember his name. Dark. In IR. No, that's on the other side. All oh, gone, yeah. On the other side um, he came to the Lord and the Lord convicted him that every hotel he'd gone into, he'd pinched a pillowcase, a bit of silver, something like this, with the hotel's name on it. He'd got them all out. He'd got this huge, uh, from all over the country. I said, Lord, what am I to do? He said, well, I don't expect you to go back to everyone. I just wanted to draw your attention, they you throw them away. You know, up to what you've been doing, you okay. see. Because everybody does it, don't they? Others have a souvenir. I actually had someone come here once, very difficult lady, sat on that settee and said, uh, I don't know what it is about this place, or words to this effect, but uh, usually when I go anywhere I take something. She said, but I can't seem to pick anything up here. Oh, good. <laughs> Christian question. <laughs> <laughs> something wrong with her conscience, do you think? <laughs> Oh, I mean, it's absolutely <laughs> incredible, and, and and God, yes, will He will educate you down to the last scruple in terms of your conscience, if you will allow Him, and that is what is called the sanctification process. Um, that is just how it works. That is what makes us stand out from the people in the world. Joyce, now, where was it? We went the other day, Sainsbury's, wasn't it? We were looking, <coughs> driving into Sainsbury's. And as we, as we went in, this guy came out and he's holding a t- car parking ticket in his hand saying, there's an hour left on that, and I'm thinking, Joyce, just take it, we'll throw it away. So I took it. Now, in the past, what I would have done as an unregenerate would have said, hey, thanks very much. That's actually robbery. You don't take it or give it to somebody else because it's Robbery. Uh, it's like breaking copyright on things. You know how fussy we are about breaking copyright here. Because God's watching those things. Um, do you remember Carol? Carol? or was Platinum? No. Terry. Terry. Can I tell that one? Uh, it's what worked with Sue at uh, Bexley. She was the girl that was instrumental in, in my coming to the Lord. One, she used to run a little lambretta wasn't it mm-hmm. one night she went home just about got home and she felt so ill she managed to park her bike outside the house and she staggered in and went upstairs and laid on the bed and went to sleep and when she woke up Jesus was laying across the bottom of the bed like this looking at her do you remember this? did you tell her this mm-hmm. once? Mm-hmm. and he said to her why did you do it? I've given you all this. There's nothing that I would withhold from you. Why did you do it? And she said, at that moment, she remembered that in her pannier basket on her bike, just before she left work, everybody else had gone, she thought, ooh, a handful of paper clips, a couple of pens, a couple of awesome. bits of this, a couple of bits of that. Into the pannier they went. On the way home, she felt sicker and sicker and sicker. Uh, God made his point she took him back but it's the things that we think that nobody sees that he sees and we need to just begin to come into an awareness of this It's, it's such a it's not a dichotomy it's a paradox he is our father we can come into his presence exactly how we are because he loves us But at the same time, he's holy. And we can't get away from that. And one of the things that actually happens in the move of the spirit that we have at the minute, is that we think we can do any old thing and get away with it. You know, my pastors, I've been in adultery with my pastor for the last two years. But he's such a man of God. And I'm thinking, excuse me, what you just said wiped out the other thing. But because the level of morality in the church and outside are both the same, you couldn't tell the difference. That's why I think I'm going to happen to do this thing on sex, sex and morality. The, 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 the church is not, she's not shining like she should. she's tarnished. God has not got he's not wrathful over this. He's sad. Because what is happening is that we are becoming conformed to the standards of this world and not conformed to his standard. So that is why he's so sad that the bride has allowed herself to go into adultery just in exactly the same way as Israel did. The reason that Jehovah was so grieved with his bride and talked so much about adultery is she was lured away. To the customs of the countries that she lived in she was married to one husband to jehovah himself i'm glad i spent all the time doing my preparation this morning (laughs) i haven't gone anywhere yet oh dear i think it's ezekiel 16 You're probably familiar with this. You see, Israel had gone through a marriage contract with God without realizing it. To be betrothed to a woman in Jesus' time meant as good as being married. So we are actually the betrothed of God so that's as good as being married all that hasn't happened is the consummation which is when we go to be with him so the marriage contract was Deuteronomy this was God saying this is what I will be to you if you will be this to me if you will love me with all your heart soul mind and strength I'll pour out the heavens oh yes she said that sounds nice then she gets into a spot of bother and starts looking uh, to other gods for satisfaction or if you like, digging her own cisterns he was not though the wrath of God shows against Israel the warnings of God far outweigh the wrath of God in the Old Testament and the wrath of God is not upon us but if we look at it we'll see that we behave in exactly the same way as she did here we are, Ezekiel 16, verse 3. It's talking of this nation. Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem. Your birth and your nativity are from the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. As for your nativity, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you. You were not rubbed with salt, nor swathed in swaddling clothes. No eye pitied you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you, but you were thrown out into the open field where you were abhorred on the day you were born. And when I passed by you and saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you, in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you, in your blood, live. What's he said to us? Live. I made you thrive like a plant in the field, and you grew, matured and became very beautiful. Your breasts were formed, your hair grew, but you were naked and bare. Can you see the likeness to the bride? He sees the church as one soul. He sees this nation as one soul. That's the way God is. He sees us as just one person, one soul. I made you thrive, like a plant in the field, and you grew, matured and became very beautiful. Your breasts were formed, your hair grew, but you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and looked upon you, indeed your time was the time of love. So I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. What did Ruth do with Boaz? He covered the corner of his garment over her, and that said, he was Her kinsman redeemer. He was going to look after her. He was her husband. So here we have this Jewish custom. He's just speaking to them in a language they would understand. Then I washed you in water. Been washed in water? Yes, I thoroughly washed off your blood. And I anointed you with oil. Been anointed with oil, Holy Spirit? It's all in there, isn't it? I clothed you in embroidered cloth and gave you sandals of badger skin. I clothed you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments. Put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. I put a jewel in your nose and earrings in your ears. It's all right to wear earrings. And a beautiful crown on your head. (laughs) Thus you were adorned with gold and silver. You have a nose ring if you like. And your clothing was of fine linen silk and embroidered cloth, you ate pastry of fine flour, honey and oil, and you were exceedingly beautiful, and succeeded to royalty. Mm. Hello! But what are we? A royal priesthood. (coughs) Your fame went out among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect, through my splendour, which I had bestowed on you. But you trusted in your own beauty, played the harlot because of your fame, poured out your harlotry on every par- one passing who would have it. And so he goes on, it's horrible the way it goes. It, they put their food before the idols, they, you know, slain the children. So the wife goes off and commits adultery. And that's what hurt him most. So when we look to somebody else or something else other than him for our satisfaction, it hurts him. He's not angry. Hurts him. So the question I'd like to you to go away and consider for ten minutes or half an hour or whatever it is what's my conscience like, Father? am I, am I aware is it enlivened or, or is it still dead in trespasses and sins? Is it enlivened? Because many Christians say to me they feel condemned. And I actually think they're feeling convicted. But they're mixing it up because they don't know the difference between conviction and condemnation. So we need to be a t- question to the Lord do I know the difference between conviction and condemnation? Ever so important. So, uh, come back at quarter past twelve, eh? <laughs> i a little old. Somewhere, be not so easy today. I asked the Lord what this Caros moment meant, and that really the answer I got was a divine shift, and there's more coming, and He's preparing us to hold the wine that is pouring out. So that what we're in now is a time of profound change. Um, because his Keros breaks into our Chronos, if you see what I mean. It doesn't take it, doesn't replace it. It breaks into at God's right time into our Chronos time. It's a suddenly of God, if you like. You never know when it's going to happen. Um, and we need to get in onto that because if we are on the station with our bags packed, waiting for the eight o'clock train, um, and we say to the station master. What time's the 8 o'clock train? He'll say, 8 o'clock. Well, my watch says five two. The clock up the road says quarter two, And he says, well, sorry, it's just on. It's 5 past. So you've missed your Kairos moment. When there is a Kairos moment, we have to get on board. Otherwise, we'll sit there with our bags packed watching the train go out. Mm-hmm. It's like that with a Kairos moment. It's, you have your opportunity to jump on. And that is what he was saying, I'm doing a new thing. And suddenly he burst in to us this morning with it. And it was, if you like, the eight o'clock train arrived. A divine shift has taken place. And from this moment on, he'll be wanting, as we'll look this afternoon, to change us, prepare us, uh, and hopefully have his couple, have our cooperation for him to do it. Because he's about to do something new. And we won't be in on it, don't we? So, um, I trust it was useful, finding out about your conscience and whether it's alive or not. And as Lenive was saying, where's Leneve gone? There. Disappeared into the middle there. <laughs> it's the word that does it. If you don't get into the Word and read the Word, whether it feels good or doesn't, or whether you feel there's anything happening or not, it is renewing you. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and you get your mind renewed by getting your head around what's going on in the Word of God. As I said just now, as I read that passage in Ezekiel, God gave me revelation as I read it, about the water and the oil, which was the water of the washing of the Word and the Spirit the oil of the spirit it just as I spoke it so the revelation came I mean so to take keep taking a deep breath so another little thing here we started off with the whole business of time and we've all got 24 hours but I cannot emphasize it enough that the quality of your Christian walk will be directly related to the amount of time that you spend with him. Some of us have got busy lives, and you cannot spend hours and hours and hours, but present yourself to him, and you will have quality time with him. But present yourself you must. There's a hymn here, but... uh, I got Well, I think either I got it or Joyce got it. No, Joyce got it when she was praying for me last night. And I said to her here, remember that, will you? I'm not sure whether she did or not, but I wrote it down just in case. Take time to be holy. This is this holy word that keeps cropping up. Um, over the last couple of days, it's just kept coming up. Speak oft with thy Lord, abide in him always, and feed on his word. Make friends of God's children, help those who are weak, forgetting in nothing His blessing to seek. Take time to be holy. The world rushes on, spend much time in secret with Jesus alone by looking to Jesus like him, thou shalt be beholding and becoming thy friends in his in thy conduct, His likeness shall see. Take time to be holy. Let him be thy guide, and run not before him, whatever betide. In joy or in sorrow, still follow thy Lord, and looking to Jesus, still trust in his word. We're not trusting in feelings, we're not trusting in what we see, we're trusting in his word. Take time to be holy, be calm in thy soul, each thought and each temper beneath his control. Thus led by his Spirit to fountains of love, thou soon shalt be fitted for service above. Interesting isn't it what we're doing? Training for raining. Mm -hmm. This man wrote this somewhere between 1822 and 1894. You see, the, the deep things of God do not change. It's like we're having a tremendous move of God on the surface of the sea and the rolling and the breakers and everything but the deep things of God don't change. And we don't want to be a mile wide and half an inch deep do we? For me I'd like to be a mile deep and half an inch wide. That's my determined purpose is to go deep into God. Not to be a shallow surface Christian that if you scratch like the veneer it all comes off because it's just surface. We can all put on a surface appearance of being a Christian, say the right things. But sometimes we say it and we don't walk the talk. So we've got to be careful what we're talking and make sure that we, that it's actually, someone I know recently was, and bless him I don't think he realised really what God was saying to him. He said, I don't want you to teach any more from what you've read. I want you to teach from your experience. Mm he thought that's nice and i thought "Ah, ah, what that is saying to me is you've been reading a book and teaching on it god is saying no my pastor you know david bless his heart he used to say to me trouble is with you you only teach out your experience and i'm thinking can't teach from anything else i've got to have lived it before i can teach it because i can't say to somebody else do this Word of God says that you do it. You have to teach from what He has made flesh on you. That's the only way it'll give life to anyone else. But this other guy, bless his heart, I haven't heard from him since. I don't quite know what's happening there, but something of some depth, I should think. <laughs> if he wants to come and see me, I'll make sense of it for him. <laughs> That's not a boast. That is because I know, I, I realized what God was saying, and he didn't seem to see it. It sort of went about there. So, there we are so. this afternoon we're going to be looking about what prevents us coming into the presence and we'll have a look then And but one of the things I'm going to be saying to you and you might want to ra- ask him now is to ask him for a daily checklist when you come into the presence of God Father can I have a checklist so as I know um, if I've transgressed because it's all rolling around 1 John one nine, which we'll be looking at this afternoon. See, this is not new. This is foundational teaching. But if we don't actually put it into practice, God will just make sure that it comes around again and again and again until we start putting it into practice. Who knows, he won't put you on to step two before he's put you on to step one. So I've got the day check this for what I'm saying. For, for... Uh, understanding where we haven't had our consciences enlivened and so therefore we don't know that we've actually I mean some people can go on losing their rag getting angry um, showing off stomping round and not realizing they're in sin Mm. and then they wonder why they don't hear from the Lord and they need someone kind like me to come alongside and say well actually sweetheart you probably your windows are dirty so you need to do a 1 John one nine. ask the Lord what it is that's blotting it out. Uh, when you start, there are several reasons for not hearing from God when you've heard from Him before. One is disobedience, He's told you to do something and you haven't done it, so He ain't not going to talk to you. Not because He doesn't love you, because He's trying to get your attention. You know, how many times have I told you this? <laughs> Goes quiet. Oh, He's not asking me to do it anymore, I'm alright. And then suddenly the silence goes on a bit and you think we'll be looking at this afternoon." So the disobedience is one reason, unconfessed sin is a big one. But for each one of us personally we need to know what constitutes unconfessed sin in our lives. What constitutes it to me will be different for you. It's like that that God showed me a long time ago, he showed me a triangle with little circles, big circles, pin dots. Some are very big, some are little tiny bits. And I said to the Lord, what's that? He said, those are puddles of light. And I only expect you to live in the size of the puddle of light that I've given you. Which will be increasing, of course, all the time. So if I'm standing in a big puddle of light, and you're standing in a pinprick, I cannot expect you to be walking where I'm walking. But equally, it doesn't expect me to be walking in the pinprick and saying, well, she's doing it. I'm getting away with it so he boxes me round both ears and says but you're bigger <laughs> uh, I don't know who it was that used to say it, that uh, if you've got a baby of 18 months old and he sticks his porridge on his head you laugh and clear it up when your 13 year old does that you don't <laughs> but it's all a matter of what your personal checklist is it can be anything what comes into my mind is that there's a checklist uh, from um, R.T. Kendall. I think it's the book, is called Once Saved, Always Saved, because there's always a contention about this, whether you can lose your salvation or not. But in amongst it is done a checklist, and one of them is succumbing to flattery. Mm. Now, you wouldn't think that that was a sin, would you? Oh, you're so good at this, Carol. Oh, am I really? <laughs> <laughs> well, will you do it then? Oh, well, yes. You see, what's happened there is flattery always seeks to get something out of you. It's the old Eros hook. So I say to you, my word, you're good at that. Oh, thank you. You yeah, know, yeah, well, something, a gift that God's given me. Well, then would you like to... Um... You see, it's immediately followed by the hook is flattery and it hooks you into doing what the person wants. Eros. At it again. So... That there's two things there. The person who's done the flattering is actually sinful, as is the person that has received the flattering. It's always a hook with flattery. If anyone ever flatters you, or you find yourself about to flatter someone, stop. Because now you're in knowledge, now you're in light, now you know. Your puddle just got bigger. <laughs> this is how your puddle of light gets bigger. Because what will happen is God will put you in a situation in your... It'll happen and you'll see it and you'll think, oops, this is that. You can genuinely um, say it's nice to You can to admire, it. but you know when it's flattery for a purpose. You want yeah. to get something out of it. Ah, that's yeah. right. Because there's affirmation, isn't there? There's difference, totally mm-hmm. different. I'll say, you know, you look drop-dead gorgeous. That's not flattery. I'm saying what I see. Mm-hmm. And, and th- there's nothing in it. I'm not trying to get anything out of you. Mm-hmm. But you know when someone's flattering you, it makes you go a bit squirmy and so as you get, as your conscience becomes enlivened to this, it makes something happen in here and you think, oh, don't do that. I hate to hear flattering um, words because they are just, they're not true. It's not coming out of the spirit of truth, it's coming out of that, su- that serpent there. So ask him, uh, maybe you want to do that over the lunch time for a checklist for yourself okay father where are my areas manipulation do I manipulate do I manipulate by my silence by my anger by my looks by my unspoken expectation I mean you may not but I had to get honest with myself and say father do I manipulate and the answer was yes so he's dealt with me on that because Joyce used to say, you're a manipulator, she said. Because I'd say to her, "Ears, you're going to the kitchen, do you mind to uh, bring us a cup of tea or something like that, you see? And she saw that as manipulation. So I thought, well, I'd better ask him. Because I don't want to be doing that. I don't want to manipulate people. I mean, I don't want to manipulate people to love me or care about me and oh, I don't want to do it I just it's, it it's repulsive it's repulsive because it comes off the old snake anyway he'll show you if you if you if you're bold enough to get real real brave with him he'll show you what your checklist is and then you can go through it every day and you'll get to know you'll almost be able to tick off the, cross off the things because you'll you'll say father am I am I okay in this area now because it's sharpened your conscience and to such an extent that you'll 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 know. I don't want to go there. Sh- Ask him what's growing off that old serpent, you know, in your in your in your life. I think it is the one thing seeing that that has made the old nature so clear to me. We can talk about our old Adam, our old nature, the Adamic nature, the fallen nature. All this, and, 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 and it's like nebulous. But when you see something like that thing, it focuses. <laughs> it focuses me anyway. Mm. <laughs> okay. Right. Where there we go. So, I have a break. So, John seventeen five says, well, in the presence of god point we? i can't even remember what we called this one now did we call it in the presence <laughs> of god <of, laughs> i'm mean, your in experience in the presence of god yes <laughs> <laughs> john 17:5 says this is eternal life that they may know you and Jesus Christ whom you sent now this is a hard one it is possible that we can seek God not for who He is, but to satisfy our own desires. We don't seek Him for His own sake, but for me. What's in it for me? And it's the Eros hook. If I'm, what I'm about to say to you doesn't doesn't speak, then don't worry if it does. You can talk to him about it at lunchtime. One of the current dangers in the church and the movement that we're enjoying is that we seek the relationship with God to satisfy ourselves. And by that I mean we can approach the whole question of our relationship with him with a gimme mentality. There's a very good book. um, I can't remember the title. I've got a couple of them standing on my... And he talks about, right at the end of it, the problem of demandingness. And this is the same thing. Because we are so self-absorbed, it's what's in it for me. Healing, deliverance, health, wealth and a husband. And these are all very valid and necessary and require to be pursued. But they must not consume us to the point where we forget what it's all about. Jesus and our relationship with him must be paramount. And that's the only thing that is of eternal value. On the backside of any visitation like Toronto is the fear that we will lose it. The awareness of his presence, the delight, the excitement of knowing that God is with us. I mean, yesterday we, we had a heightened experience of God, didn't we? I sure did. Um, and and uh, it it was awesomely, incredibly delicious and exciting. So today he said, "Okay, girls." you've enjoyed that now let's get down to the business (laughs) because that is true and so is this Mm -hmm. so our fear is that he will leave and we will not get what we want we had it once and we will keep trying to get it again I can remember being in a church that was losing its way and sitting under the leadership trying to work it up every Sunday Uh, it was really really painful he would go on talking, getting louder and louder, and while he was talking, his wife's on the keyboard, he would be doing this to get her to wind up the music. So that he's talking, and he's she's praying the music, and he's one day he was an apostle, and the next day he was a prophet, and he had a different hat on every time he preached to us. He was a dear, but he was insecure. So he would go on talking, getting louder and louder, and it, I mean, it was painful. I'd walk out half a dozen times during the course of the thing and I'd sit outside and I'd say to the Lord, I can't dead And I'd go back in and I'd sit like, It was absolutely excruciating. A subtle shift had taken place, you see. We'd moved from the spirit into the flesh and from peace to panic. So God withdraws himself a little from us and we are panicking like mad and he was he was losing control and he knew it and he was trying to work it up so what exactly takes place when we move from spirit to flesh from spirit to sensual now i worship god for my own improvement so that i may feel better about myself not for who he is but who i am to him i'm my beloved and his desire is towards me but what i can get I want a warm fuzzy, I want a feeling that you're here and I'm gonna go on doing this till okay? He's supposed to possess us but we can find ourselves pursuing him to possess him. Eros. And he says, we say to him, I want you to be here for me, meet my needs so that I can feel more spiritual and I can feel better about myself. So subtly this m- can cause a move in us that we think God is actually there entirely to serve us and meet our needs as I said leads to the worship being worked up to give us a kind of spiritual high without which we don't consider we have met with the Lord or that partic- on that particular Sunday or that particular conference and we've lost our way and we've fallen off the Agape road and tripped into Eros big time and we're living entirely on how we feel This seeking to get something out of God is actually a highly refined form of self centeredness self-interest, self-seeking and self-gratification and it springs from the old nature. I'm using you God, get what I want. It's Eros, a love that seeks to get something for itself. Eros doesn't seek to be accepted by its object but to gain possession of it or gain something from it. You see it in marriage all the time. If you really love me, you would fill in your own blank. Eros. Give me what I want. Be this to me. I need you to be this to me. So you actually want the other person to change so that they will satisfy who? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's hard, but once we see it, it's apparent We actually don't like it. And we suddenly, we, we have to see, what's his name, Bob Mumford says, the truth when it first comes is always negative. So our first reaction to a true statement will cause us to react. We'll, we'll go a bit, you know, I'm not having that. Agape, on the other hand, which is what we're moving towards, is selfless, self-giving. It doesn't turn around and consume its own tail, like that thing there. And Jesus' love for us, as we well know, is agape. There's not an ounce of eros in him. So, am I making myself clear? Am I speaking? We become fanatical. And fanaticism is anything we do to increase our intensity. This is a different dictionary definition try saying that when a former experience doesn't yield what it used to what we actually need to do at this point is to go back to receiving instead of taking to responding instead of initiating we've forgotten our place we're responders he initiates we respond he gives we receive. Once we start trying to take, Bob Mumford calls it raping God, which I, I found a, 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 a very, but I saw what he meant, mm. trying to get something out of him. I knew a girl a long time ago, and I've told the story before, she wanted a husband. So we had this sort of discussion. I want a husband. I said yes darling I know but God's saying will you come over here and talk to me. I said you're saying give me this. He's saying come over here. You're saying give me this. He's saying come over here. As far as I know she never moved over there. She would not move from what she wanted. So she never got it. Because he's God and he doesn't change and he said you come over here. so what we've been doing in order to satisfy our spiritual needs is trying to take something from him so sometimes we just have to relax because Jesus said and we have to catch ourselves at it don't we I mean I came downstairs this morning having done a bit not this bit but another bit and my shoulder was stiff and I thought for goodness sake you've got tents up there doing that I've got like this and that was before we got this morning's download. So I had to relax and say, Father, I didn't ought to be like this. I just adopt the position I'm just gonna relax because Jesus said it's the Father's good pleasure to give. And he says on the Graham City, isn't it? I'm indulging myself in this. Mm. I want my pleasure too. We're so besotted with our own needs and, and, and trying to get what we want. He wants his pleasure too and we are his pleasure. So try living like the delight of God. Look in the mirror and say, I'm his delight. I'm his Turkish delight. (laughs) He picks me every time he looks at a box of chocolates. So the whole issue is one of receiving. So you relax and you adopt the position. We're going to receive from him. You can't pull something out of him no matter how hard you try. And right now, we are entering that receiving mode. We're not striving for anything. we we'll wait for him to come and touch us. This is the hardest thing. Learning to wait on God is an absolute essential. Because if we feel in our natural selves, there we go with the old Eros, that there's not enough excitement going on here, we'll start to move into the essential. <coughs> and we will end up working it up and as we looked at in Ezekiel, looking in uh, sorry in Jeremiah in all the wrong places to satisfy our needs in people, material objects holidays, sensational stuff sensual stuff we really do need to guard ourselves against it we've lost or maybe we never knew the fact that he initiates and we respond we are the bride, he's the bridegroom we are his inheritance, his treasured possession. And there's a, pl- a plumbing example comes to me and I never like the terms that they use in plumbing. <laughs> As she knows the terms they use in plumbing. Male and female connections, one goes into the other, I think I don't think that's very nice. <laughs> I never did think it was very nice when I was unsaved, I didn't think that was <laughs> very nice get away from it we're made to be receivers we're not the initiator and we sh- we have to learn to still ourselves I think so, I was talking to I think it was um, Gina at the breakfast table this morning my Martha was in the ascendancy because when I went to bed last night everything that I should have done today had already been done he'd done it and that was a totally obsolete, What oh, I God. So I'm sitting there thinking, I can't nothing for the morning. And my mouth was going, ha, 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 ha. And she's thinking, well, we can have a time of worship, then I can get them soaking, and maybe God will give me something. So, you know, she's going through all these scenarios. And I said to her, shut up. Just stop it. We're going to wait and see what God does. And right now you're going to sleep so we went to sleep and we got up this morning <laughs> still nothing <laughs> what you learn is to hang on in God what I'm learning over this, I have learned so much about him over this weekend I sat there studiously bashing away, doing all the stuff I thought you wanted to bring me let me do it, yeah, carry on, yeah, this is that title, that's that divine, yeah, yeah, yeah got all my lovely pages, all my little, st- it's on my stick <laughs> print it off, got it there. It changes the agenda completely. I want you to learn to trust me. Okay. But it's brilliant. And you did ask for teaching without notes. I did. Mm. I said I want it to be spontaneous. There is something stilted, still, about my having to refer to what I've got here. My bit of paper this morning consisted of something like that. its <laughs> A couple of scrappy notes, and the other bit was a post-it note with a couple of pieces on it. But from that, I know what he's wanting to say. But when he dropped into my mind about that Kairos, that was awesome. I thought, surprise me, why don't you, <laughs> I felt like Graham would say about Moses in front of Pharaoh you know Pharaoh's doing all this breathing out "Far, don't help me Lord because the Lord says I'll go behind Pharaoh and I'll incite him against you don't help me Lord you know? <laughs> but you can see him going or even so he makes us wait that he extends the waiting time and when we have got to get this old thing under control is in that waiting, making yourself come to a place of peace. So we'll we'll all be going through that process of of, uh, increasing our peace level, our rest level, no matter what's going on, because that's what it's all about, is peace and rest, doing everything from a place of peace. If I wasn't absolutely peaceful, I couldn't speak, I wouldn't speak because if I spoke from anything other than a place of peace what you get would be mixture and if I spoke from a place of having had an upset with someone what you get would be vitriol probably rather than nice red wine because it would be coming out of a disturbance inside me so if I'm disturbed I won't speak until I can get contr- get the Holy Spirit in control of that thing um, if you really want to learn how to get control, become become a prayer ministry leader um, so that you're faced up day by day for 15 years with butting sheep <laughs> on a one-to-one and you're saying to them, well what you need to do is this, so-and-so, and so, so, so but, 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 <laughs> <laughs> and you're saying, okay, I'll put it another way, what you need to do, perhaps, or think about or even consider is this, but, but. But, but, and you're thinking I'll throw you in a minute <laughs> and that is where you learn uh, to submit to the Holy Spirit constantly and if you really get in a hole you say I'm just going to have to close the session for a moment while I get control of myself <laughs> because we've all got one of those things inside you know. but it's getting top sides of the blighter that's what it is God will always turn up if you wait long enough. And sometimes he just likes to pique your interest by holding out on you a little. When I typed that, I did not know that he was going to do that to me. (laughs) (laughs) But he always hides in plain sight. Question for you to ask yourself over lunchtime. It doesn't get any easier this weekend, does it? (laughs) Have you been seeking to get something from God instead of receiving from him? Have you been trying to recapture something you once had and no longer experience by various ploys? Fasting to name but one? Bob Mumford makes me laugh. He said, I fasted for 21 days and all I got was thin. (laughs) 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 Could you you just repeat the question? (laughs) Have you been seeking to get something out of God instead of receiving from Him? Have you been trying to recapture something you once had and no longer experience? So those are your little questions mm. for lunch time. Have you been trying to recapture something, something you, you once had and no longer experience? When we're off of there I'll, I'll tell you a story. I can